The scripture readings this morning are from Exodus 28 and 29. The first one is on page 66 in your pew Bibles. Have Aaron, your brother, brought to you from among the Israelites, along with his sons Nahab, Abihu, Eliezer, Ithamar, so they may serve me as priests. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. Tell all the skilled workers to whom I have given wisdom in such matters that they are to make garments for Aaron for his consecration so that he may serve me as a priest. These are the garments they are to make, a breastplate piece, an ephod, a robe, a woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. They are to make these sacred garments for your brother Aaron and his sons, so they may serve me as priests. Have them use gold and blue, purple and scarlet yarn, and fine linen. And then from Exodus 29, which is on page 68, verses 1 to 9. This is what you are to do to consecrate them, so they may serve me as priests. Take a young bull and two rams without defect, and from the finest wheat flour, make round loaves without yeast, thick loaves without yeast, and with olive oil mixed in, and thin loaves without yeast and brushed with olive oil. Put them in a basket and present them along with a bull and two rams. Then bring Aaron and his sons to the entrance to the, the tent of meeting and wash them with water. Take the garments and dress Aaron with the tunic the robe of ephod, the ephod itself, and breast, the breast piece. Fasten the ephod on him by its skillfully woven waistband. Put the turban on his head and attach the sacred emblem to the turban. Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Bring his sons and dress them in tunics and fasten caps on them. Then tie sashes on Aaron and his sons. The priesthood is theirs by a lasting ordinance. Then you shall ordain Aaron and his sons. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable to you, our rock and redeemer. Amen. Here's what I want to tell you this morning. You are a priest. You are a priest. You can use the word minister if you prefer, but you have a priestly calling. And by the end of this sermon, I want you to, to see that, to believe that, to understand what that means, and to be able to leave this place living out your priestly calling in the world. Now, some of you hear the word priest, and you just imagine a Catholic single man who does the Mass and wears special robes, and, uh, you know, th that's a priest in your mind. Well, that's not the kind of priest I mean. A priest, the simplest definition I can come up with for a priest is that is someone who is close to God who can invite others to be close to God. He's a mediator or a connector 
or a representative of God. He represents people before God and God before people. That's what a priest is. Now, here's an amazing verse in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9, where Peter writes to ordinary Christians like you and me, he says, you are a royal priesthood, a chosen people, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. You are a royal priesthood. Ordinary Christians. Not just a few people. If you prefer, yeah, minister. You are a minister of the gospel of Jesus. And when Peter wrote that, he was quoting from Exodus. Exodus 19.6, where God tells Israel, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. The whole nation of Israel were, in a way, priests. They had a special mediating role between God and the rest of the world. That was God's plan. But within that nation of priests, they still needed priests so they could be in a relationship with God. And that's what Exodus 28 and 29 are all about. It's God laying out the instructions and the, the commands for how to ordain Aaron, the first priest, and his sons. Um, they needed to be consecrated, which means made holy or set apart for this job because it was a very important job. The priests were the ones who spoke God's words, uh, taught God's laws to his people. They were the ones who offered sacrifices for the people's sins. And uh, they did many other jobs in, in the nation of Israel, but they were the ones sort of closest to God so that they could mediate others, other people's relationship with God. Now, as we look at Exodus 28 and 29, we see how Aaron and his sons were clothed in a special way for this work. They had to wear these special ornate outfits to do their job, and they were consecrated, which means set apart or made holy. And so as we, believe it or not, as we look at chapters 28 and 29 of Exodus, because you are a priest, you can learn something about yourself. You can learn something about how God has clothed you and consecrated you for service, to be a minister of the gospel. And I believe this is more important than ever for us because we live among people, we live in a world where people are disconnected from their creator where people don't have a relationship with God through Jesus. And God has put his ministers of his gospel, all of you, out into this world to be connectors, to be, to be representatives, to be people who bridge between God and lost people. And so this is more important than ever. We all have a special role to play. We are all members of this royal priesthood, according to Peter. 
We're all ministers of the gospel. God is on mission, just as he was through Israel, he was on mission in the world. Now, God is on mission in the world, reconciling the world to himself through his son Jesus. And you and I are ministers of that message. Ministers of the gospel, priests in the kingdom of God. <clears throat> now there are similarities, <clears throat> excuse me, there are similarities as well as significant differences between Aaron and his priesthood and us. And so in order to see those, we're going to look at two things. Aaron's clothing and Aaron's consecration. Chapters 28 and 29 of Exodus. So please open your Bibles, if they aren't already, to Exodus chapter 28. <clears throat> we will uh, be, be touching on different parts of these chapters, but covering the whole section. <clears throat> so Aaron was the high priest, the head honcho. And most of the clothing that is described in chapter 28 applies only to him. Now, as we open this up, this is true for us today. Sometimes what you wear tells people what you do and tells them about your job or your calling. So um, if someone were to walk in here this morning wearing scrubs and a stethoscope and a name tag, we would know that person is a nurse or a doctor, right? If someone was dressed in a tuxedo with a carnation or a flower in their lapel, and it was, it was the end of May, early, early June, and they were a high school student, we would assume that they were going to the prom, right? If you saw someone dressed in Nike high tops, in athletic shorts, and a sleeveless jersey, you would think, they're going to play basketball, right? Your clothing tells you, tells other people what you do. And it was the same with Aaron. He had a special outfit, special clothing to wear for his priestly job. And it tells a story about what he did. Now, if there's one thing God wanted people to see when they saw Aaron, it was holiness, set apart. Aaron was a representative of a holy God because he gets to be close to God in a way that others do not. So chapter 28, verse 2, says this. Make sacred garments for your brother Aaron to give him dignity and honor. That phrase, dignity and honor, uh, can also be translated something like glory and beauty. He, he's to reflect the glory of God. And as we look at chapter 28, we see a lot of gold in his outfit. He has, uh, he has gold threads, fine gold chains, gold shoulder plates, a gold plaque on his forehead, all of this sparkling, glittering gold all over him. Glory. And the rest of his clothes are made with, with blue and scarlet and purple yarn, which are the colors of royalty, and also the colors that match the tabernacle. So he is like an extension of the tabernacle, which is all about God's glory and God's beauty. 
So when you would see Aaron, you would think glory, holiness, beauty. Now I have a slide to show you, which is some, one artist's representation of what, um, of what Aaron might have looked like. If you could advance the slide, Christian, to that. And it might look kind of funny to us, but if you were an ancient Israelite seeing Aaron, you would probably be just overawed with the glory and the beauty of his robes. Because you didn't see a lot of dyed fabrics or a lot of gold or finery in that, in that world. So Aaron radiated God's beauty. Now let's talk a little bit about the components of his outfit so we can understand his priestly job. First, there was this thing called an ephod, which was like a sleeveless apron. And all over the ancient world, this was the garment associated with the priesthood, with doing a religious job. Um, so on the shoulder, each shoulder of that ephod was, a, was an onyx stone engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, six on each shoulder. Interesting. Now similarly, on his chest... The breastplate or the breastpiece was a nine-inch square of fabric studded with 12 uh, precious stones, each with the name of one of the sons of Israel. So do you see, when he ministered before God in the tabernacle, he was literally carrying or wearing all of his people, bringing them into God's presence, representing them before the holy God. Likewise, I think that the ornateness and the beauty of those stones shows how precious these people were to God. This is all just in, in his outfit. Now, one more piece of clothing I'll mention is the turban, this white wrap around his head. And uh, on front of it was a golden plate engraved with the words, Holy to the Lord, right on his forehead where you couldn't miss it. It was all about, you know, that word defines who he was. Holy to the Lord. It was a reminder of who he was as a priest and of who his people were that he was representing. Remember God said, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation set apart. See, the thing about holiness is, You have, if God is using people to change the world, they have to be different than the world, right? <laughs> and so his people are wholly different, set apart from the nations around them, so that they can be a pure reflection of God's glory and purposes and love and law. If they were the same as everybody else, nobody would see God through them. That's the idea of holiness, Set apart. So you see, Aaron was clothed in a special way for his job. Now there's lots of other details in that outfit that I will let you read and figure out, chapter 28 of Exodus, because it's really fascinating. We don't have time to go through all of them this morning. Um, but he is clothed in a special way for his service. What about you and me? When you're a Christian, does God give you... Um, you know, do you have to wear a suit and tie in order to reflect God's glory? 
Do you have to wear ancient Israelite linen clothing? Do you have to wear something in particular to be a Christian or to... No. That's because the, the true meaning of these physical symbols has translated for us into spiritual realities. You know, the Bible talks a lot about clothing and it describes salvation as being clothed anew. So we come to God with our dirty clothes, our filthy rags, our unclean garments, and he strips those off of us and puts on a royal robe radiating with the righteousness of his son Jesus. Remember the story of the prodigal son. When the, the son comes back, he's been working in a pigsty. He's filthy. His, his, he's probably covered with grime from head to toe. His, his clothing are, is rags. And the father embraces him and says, Quick, put on him the best robe. That's a picture of our salvation. Paul says in, in Galatians 3.27, all of you who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been clothed with Christ. Clothed with Christ, with his righteousness, with his royal, beautiful garments of salvation. That is true of you if you are a Christian. You have a new outfit. You are dressed to serve God. That is true. Well, let's look together at how Aaron was now consecrated, and then we can tie some more of these threads together. So chapter 29 is all about this very involved like ordination service or consecration service for Aaron and his sons. Um, it involves some water, some oil, some bread, and a lot of blood. I mean a lot of blood. <laughs> so first they had to appear before the Lord in the courtyard of the tabernacle where they would take a bath. They would get the water from this uh, 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 wash basin and wash their whole bodies because their bodies had to be clean, symbolically saying, before they could even put on these garments, they had to be ritually cleaned from their sin, right? Next comes the oil. 29 verse 7 says, Take the anointing oil and anoint him by pouring it on his head. Anointing was a symbol of God's power and blessing coming on someone for a special job. Kings were anointed, priests were anointed, and prophets were anointed in the Old Testament. So he's there, he's wearing all these clothes. And then the oil is poured on his head and runs down all over his body. Well, after the anointing oil comes the blood. The blood. I can't go into every detail of this, but there were three animals, a bull and two rams. And each one of them was slaughtered, and some of its blood was smeared on the horns of the altar, and some of it was splashed on the side of the altar. Each offering was for a slightly different purpose, but they all had to do with making the priest spiritually fit to serve, covering their sins. Um, and then this is the part I find most interesting. Look at verse uh, 20, 
chapter 29, verse 20. The second ram, slaughter it. He says, slaughter it, take some of its blood and put it on the lobes of the right ears of Aaron and his sons, the thumbs of their right hands, and on the big toes of their right feet. Isn't that interesting? It doesn't take too much creativity to realize what's going on here. God is saying, I am sanctifying your hearing to obey me. I'm sanctifying your hands to do my will and your feet to walk in my ways. A lot of blood. And if you read uh, later in the chapter, verse uh, verse 37 seems to indicate that all of this happens for seven days each day. That's a lot of blood. That's a lot of animals sacrificed. The thing was, Aaron and his sons were sinners, like you and me. And before they could do this holy job, they needed to be made holy. Their, their sins needed to be covered and atoned for. And I think God is giving us a picture of what it takes for a sinful person to be able to stand before a holy God and represent him to the world. Now, what about us? Maybe you've been connecting some dots as I've been talking about this, about how they were washed they were clothed, they were anointed, and they were uh, atoned for. Do you hear anything similar in that to what happens to a believer in Jesus when we come and believe in Jesus? Listen, if you are a believer, here are some things in, that Scripture says is true of you. You have been washed this is a quote from Titus 3.5. You've been washed through the regeneration of the Spirit. And baptism is a picture of that. So you've been washed in water, but not, you know, it's not just a symbol. The Spirit has sanctified you and washed you. Second, you are anointed by the Holy Spirit. 1 Corinthians 1.20. You're anointed. Not with oil, but with the Holy Spirit. And third, your sins are atoned for, are covered by the blood of Christ. Not the blood of bulls and rams, but the blood of Christ. You are more spiritually fit for service than Aaron ever was. Because you have had the real thing happen to you. You've been sanctified, you've been washed, you've been anointed, you, your sins have been atoned for. So when you come to Jesus, here's what I want you to get. Coming to Jesus is not just a matter of God balancing your spiritual accounts or giving you a get-out-of-hell-free card. It's actually God ordaining you for ministry, consecrating you, equipping you, anointing you for service to Him in your priestly role. So let's talk about what that looks like. Two Saturday mornings ago, uh, I was with Michael Chance and Jack and uh, Andrew sitting in the banquet room at the Fireside Inn in West Lebanon, New Hampshire. We were at the 
American Baptist Church annual gathering for Vermont, New Hampshire. We were listening to the, the morning keynote address from a pastor named Jim Murphy. And I was taking a lot of notes because what he was saying resonated with me so deeply when I think about this church. And providentially ties right into this sermon today. Here, here is what he was saying, things like this. God is on a mission redeeming this world and he uses all of his people. Not just a few, not just the pastors, not just the evangelists, everyone. He said successful ministry is not getting a bunch of people in a room on Sunday morning and having them listen to the pastor talk. That is not ministry. Ministry is equipping you to do your ministry. Sending you out into the world. Helping you live into your, your priestly calling. His words reminded me of what I said to you five years ago when I was ordained for ministry here in this church. I, I quoted Ephesians 4.12, which says, My job is to equip the saints for works of ministry. I know I'm called a minister, but that doesn't mean I do all the ministry. It's actually you all who do the ministry of this church. And I should support you in doing that. <clears throat> Your priestly calling is, in the words of Ed Welch, to be close to the Lord and to invite others to come close to him too. And it takes all of us to do this. So, for example, when you carry someone's burdens, someone else's burdens to God in prayer, you're being a priest. When you ask a fellow believer, how is your relationship with Jesus these days? How can I pray for you? How can I support you? You're being a priest, a minister of the gospel. When you read your Bible, when you read the Bible to your kids or grandkids and help them get formed in the faith, you are being a priest, a minister of the gospel. When you take a risk to talk to someone at work or a friend who doesn't know Jesus and to say prayerfully, God, how can I help this person be reconciled to you? You're being a priest, a minister of the gospel. See, you have been consecrated. You've been clothed in glory. You've been consecrated for service. And you have a calling to reach people that only you can reach. You are minister of the gospel. Now, we will not do this perfectly. Um, and it's not our job. It's not your job to save people or to forgive their sins, right? But it is your job to point people toward the one who does. You are a bridge between Jesus and others. You're a minister of the gospel. And so the only way it's possible for us to do this, friends, is to keep looking at Jesus, to keep our eyes fixed on him. The Bible calls him our great high priest. All of these things we read about Aaron and his sons, they're only true of us because they're 
true most of all of Christ. He's the great high priest. Everything Aaron was and Aaron did, Jesus was perfectly and did perfectly. Aaron had to put on special clothes that reminded people of God's glory, right? Hebrews 1.3 says Jesus is the radiance of God's glory. Aaron was anointed with oil over his head. Jesus was anointed with the Holy Spirit. Do you know that Christ or Messiah, the same thing, Greek and Hebrew, mean the anointed one? That's his whole identity, is the one anointed for this special task. He is the anointed one. Um, Aaron required the bulls of, of rams and the blood of bulls and rams to deal with his sins before he could minister. But listen to what it says in, in Hebrews 7.27. Unlike other high priests, Jesus does not need to offer sacrifices day after day, first for his own sins and then for sins of the people. He sacrificed for their sins once and for all when he offered himself. Right? Jesus is the great high priest. Our job as ministers of the gospel, as lowercase p priests, is to point people to him. The one who can meet our needs. The one who can forgive sins. The one who can restore us, redeem us, purify us. So hold firmly to your faith. Stay close to the Lord and then, in turn, invite others closer to him. And as I close, I want you to just close your eyes and ask God to show you, whether through words or through pictures in your mind or a nudge in your spirit, a person or a situation in which you are called to serve as a priest, a minister of the gospel. I'll give you just a minute to ponder this, to ask God to direct you. Then I'll close this in prayer. Lord, pour out fresh empowering and blessing on your people here, equipping them to serve in whatever way you've called them to. Give us courage. Give us understanding. Lord, maybe some of us feel um, like we don't know enough about you to represent you to others. Well, give us understanding. Help us to learn. And may we use what we do know faithfully.
Lord, some of us uh, feel the burden of our own sin around our neck, and that makes it hard to think about helping others come close to you. God, stir up true belief, true repentance, true confession of sin, that through Jesus we may all be freed from the burden of our sins so that we can focus on, on others, on people who need Jesus. Lord, encourage us. We've all um, had situations where we've tried to speak about you or show your love to someone and we've been rebuffed or we've been ignored. So encourage us. Help us to keep our eyes fixed on Jesus. May we please him and him alone. It's in his name.